Nice. You can have a seat, friends. Say good morning. My name is Greg DeMay, one of the pastors here, along with uh, Jeff Klein. Good to be with you this morning. Um, If you are kind of new around here, we are hosting a first-time-ever taste of Elmhurst CRC right after uh, this worship service in our garden room, which is out these doors and to the left. Um, We'll feed you a little lunch. It will last about 45 minutes, and if you have questions or curiosity about hey, what is this place really all about? We will tell, tell you a few stories, take a quick tour of the building, and um, give us a chance to talk and chat and answer whatever might be on your mind. So again, if you're new around here, we'd love to see you at that. Um, didn't have to sign up. A little bit of lunch. Have a good time. Um, typically, we take our offering in response to God's Word here every week. Uh, Instead, today, we're going to receive our offering right about now to allow us more time and space to respond to God's Word by coming to Jesus' table uh, instead. Um, You are invited to this table if you are a baptized member of the family of God, and if you recognize about yourself, man, I need to change my ways, I need help, I need rescuing, I need saving. If that describes you, um, this meal is for you. The way we'll receive today is that our elders will pass trays uh, through the aisles, first bread, and then when you receive the element, um, we'll hold it all together, and then uh, as we're directed, we'll eat, and then the same thing will happen later on with the juice. We have a bunch of kids here today who may or may not be baptized. Um, as a community, we put a lot of uh, trust in our parents to help our kids figure out at an age-appropriate way when's the right time to do this. Um, again, if you've been baptized, if you're a sinner in need of repentance, uh, this is for you. And if you're a kid, um, be shepherded by your parents. All right, we're gonna, I'm going to invite the deacons forward. Our kids' choir is going to sing a wonderful song about what it means to be an offering, not just give an offering, and invite you as God's people to be generous.
Thank you, kids. Can we thank them? Awesome. Uh, Our kids sang about being an offering and the gospel story for this morning from John chapter 12 that you saw enacted up here a little earlier with Klein as Jesus, by the way. No pressure. Uh, That story is also about an offering, a different sort of offering, an offering of unusual quality, a really strong smelling offering. It is amazing what the power of a smell can do. Um, Brian Stoltenbach and Merritt, who were up here earlier, last summer, uh, they pulled up here in a station wagon. Wood-paneled, bright red, early 70s, old Plymouth station wagon. Just like seeing that car brought me back to my childhood, I was like, who does this car belong to? Their friends lent it to them for the day. I went out there after the second service. I was like, can I get in this car? I mean, the big vinyl seats, the giant jump seat in the back, opened the back door, sat down, and just smelling that old vinyl heated by the summer sun, time machined me right back to 1975. Kids are like, that is a long time ago, 1975. Yes, you're right, when cars were huge and got 10 miles to the gallon. It's just that smell I mean, maybe a certain smell can take you right to your kindergarten teacher's classroom or the attic of the house that you grew up in. Just the right smell can send our minds and hearts uh, to a very direct location. God's Word intends to transport us today through the power of this strong-smelling perfume back to a dinner party, to a dinner table 2,000 years ago. Now, the reading that we heard earlier is from John chapter 12. I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but point a few things out along the way. Now, Jesus came to visit three of his friends. There was a guy named Lazarus, a brother, a sister named Martha, and another sister named Mary. Three siblings. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or if you've detected this about your own siblings. You may come from the same family and have the same blood flowing through your veins. Sometimes brothers and sisters are very, very different one from the other. Right? Sometimes two sisters are extraordinarily different even though they grew up in the same house and grew up in the same way. Have we noticed this before? Yes. So these three siblings, they're described here in John chapter 12. They're talked about in John chapter 11. There's a scene at a different party where Martha, Martha is working so hard in Luke chapter 10. And the same scene is described in Mark 14. For those of you who want to dig in deeper, check out those chapters. Uh, But basically, this family, their personalities are strong. So here's the thing that just happened to Lazarus. Lazarus had been sick recently. And he had died. And he had been entombed in the grave for days And then Jesus came and called his name, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And Lazarus came out of the grave. And now, a short time later, this family thinks, you know what we ought to do? We ought to throw Jesus a dinner party. I mean, doesn't that seem kind of fitting, given that they brought their their brother back from the dead? Right? Throw this guy a dinner party? So this is what is going down. They live in the town of Bethany, which is just two miles outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus and his disciples are headed for the Passover feast. 
the high holy days in the Jewish life. What happens on Passover? A lamb is sacrificed, a meal is eaten, and the Jewish people remember how God set them free from slavery in Egypt. That is where Jesus and his disciples are heading. So here's the scene. They sit down to dinner, and again, a table 2,000 years ago did not look like your kitchen table. If you still have a living room or a dining room, it does not look like the fancy wood table with big straight-back chairs. It was a low-lying table that looked something like this, with big pillows and comfy things to like lie down horizontally and recline on. This sounds super messy to me. I mean, there were not forks and spoons. It was just reach on the table and directly in, mop it up with the bread directly in. This is the kind of meal that they had. Now, Lazarus, the brother, I don't know how healthy or energetic he was after recently coming back from the dead. He is described as reclining at the table. Like, just stay there, Lazarus. Don't work too hard. Martha is always described, I picture her as the oldest sister, the older sibling. The Bible never says she is, but every time she shows up, she is working hard. She's doing what needs to be done. She sees everybody's needs. She wants to do the right thing. Like, can I pour you some more wine? It looks like we need some more bread. Oh, let me refold the napkin. Oh, Jesus, it seems like your sandals need polishing. Can I help you with that? Like, anything that needs to be done, like Martha is on the job. She's a go-to person. Mary is that sibling that has a flair for the dramatic, right? If there's a spotlight to be had, if there's some attention that could be soaked up, she's the one to do this. So in this scene, I'm not doubting her motives, she does something like extraordinary and astonishing. I mean, she pours out this perfume that costs a year's worth of wages, She lets her hair down, something that a proper woman ought not to do in good company, and not only lets her hair down, but she is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. I mean, the hair, the expense, the strong smell that fills the whole room and fills the whole house. Like, what is going on? It's intimate, it's expensive, it's costly, and it's pungent. That is a super fancy word, meaning it smells really strong and you can't get away from it. It is super pungent. How ought we to react to the scene? I mean, if you were there getting this multi-sensory experience, your own nostrils filling with, man, the smell of expensive stuff, how would you react? To be totally honest, I would have a mixed reaction. Part of me would think, This is astonishing and kind of beautiful. And part of me would think, man, like, this is a little edgy and risky, what this lady is doing. And part of me would think, isn't this super wasteful? I mean, does everybody know how much the stuff in this bottle cost? I feel a little bad for Judas He's the one who makes this point. Really, I think anybody who's like reasonable and responsible probably ought to be thinking this. I mean, this bottle of stuff costs the equivalent in our day of like 80 grand. I mean, that's the equivalent in greater Chicagoland area of what a household makes. And the Bible says what's in that bottle is worth like a year's worth of income. I mean, that sounds like a lot, right? 
and it's Judas. Judas is the one who points this out. Can we go to the next slide? Um, Will you read these words in yellow from John chapter 12, verse 5 with me? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Judas, I hear you. Like, would we not be surprised? Would we be surprised if Jesus was like, no, Mary, stop, stop, don't do this, because, like, we can feed hundreds of people with this instead. Or if Jesus was like, wait, 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 stop. There are a ton of people living in poverty around here. We can help people find a place to live. Like, don't do this. Right? Do you know the parable of the ten talents? You're supposed to use the gifts and the stuff that God has entrusted to you. Imagine that I'm holding in my hand a check worth $80,000. This is not a check worth $80,000, by the way. Okay. Like, I mean, as somebody who works here, like, this would make up our current budget deficit right now. And imagine somebody just, like, gave me this check, and I was like, awesome, God, here's what we're going to do with this. We're just going to rip this thing up, and we're going to put it at the foot of the cross and be like, everything is yours, God. Our executive director, Phil, is sitting right here, and he's like, no! You... <laughs> There it is, right there. (laughs) In some professions, people talk about the smell of money, right? People in the garbage business, if you own a landfill, you go to that landfill and you breathe in the smell of garbage and you're like, smells like money. If you're a pig farmer, horrible smell. You go out on the pig farm with a pig farmer and the the pig farmer is like, Dude, it's a glorious day. Take a deep breath. Smells like money. Judas knew what money smelled like. Okay? He was the person entrusted with carrying the gifts and offerings that people gave to Jesus and his disciples. He carried the money bag. Now, John, who wrote this account, God bless him, John cannot talk about Judas without having sideways things come out of his mouth. First, he says, Judas, you know, the horrible person who betrayed Jesus. And then he quotes Judas. And then he's like, Judas, you know, the thing about Judas is that he stinks. Not only did he carry the money, he carried off the money. Judas is full of common sense in this moment. Want to honor this? He's full of common sense, but he is empty of genuine love and appreciation and affection for Jesus. It is easy for us, friends, 2,000 years later, to let our selfishness and sometimes even our good sense get in the way of our love and affection of accepting the real Jesus. By the way, the church always faces this dilemma. I've been in a few European cathedrals. Literally, it would take a town or a village decades or centuries to give the money, to exert the labor, to build this costly, extravagant edifice to the worship of God. Was that a good idea? Was that helpful to the local economy? I don't know. Travel to rural Uganda. You can find places that are saving up, I mean, offerings for years to buy an extravagant communion set for the place of worship. Is that a great idea when there might be a famine or it might be struggling just to have people eat? I mean, look at this building. I mean, it cost millions of dollars 
Is it too extravagant? Did we misuse the resources? Like, there are no easy answers to any of these questions. It's a perennial dilemma in the church of how to be responsible, but how if God calls us to make an extravagant, costly offering to honor Jesus, that that is the thing that we're willing to do, even if people are like, that does not make good sense. There is no hard and fast rule about this. The only test is prayer and genuine motivation deep down in your heart. If you're doing something to truly honor Jesus, that is the thing that one ought to do. And that is the thing that one's community ought to do. Jesus' response to Judas is really direct. Jesus says this, leave her alone. Stop it. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day or the time of my burial. As soon as Jesus utters that word, burial, a new scent, a new smell comes in the room, and it is the smell of death. I mean, this is a significant and sad moment in the gospel. I mean, if you're a kid and you have a pet that's getting old and you know it's about to die, I mean, it's really sad. It is even sadder if you have a grandpa or grandma or somebody that you really care about, that you know, who is going to die. It is really, really sad. When we have someone that we love deeply, a good friend, a parent, when we know that they are going to die, that is some of the hardest days of this life. And this is the moment that Jesus is introducing for his disciples. The smell of death is intermingled with the smell of this perfume. Did Mary know what she was doing? I don't think so, necessarily. I think she was making this uh, extravagant offering, and it took Jesus, the master, to call forth the significance of what was really going on. She is preparing me for my burial. Jesus is really going to die, and it's sad. He has been commissioned by God, and now through this perfume, he has literally been anointed. That is what Messiah means, friends. Messiah means the anointed one. And now just days before he will go to the cross, Jesus is not only figuratively, but literally anointed. By the way, in John, the account is all the, the perfume goes on his feet. Mark, in the same story in Mark 14, it describes pouring perfume over his head. Now, which is right? Probably both. Like, that's a lot of perfume. Like, you could pour a lot of that all over a guy's head and then have some left over for his feet, right? So there is perfume all over Jesus' self. How was Israel saved during the first Passover? They sacrificed an innocent lamb. They used the blood to paint their doorposts. And then the angel of death passed over the people of God and fell heavy upon Egypt. And Israel was free from their slavery. How are God's people freed right after this meal? Through the blood of the Lamb of God, which is going to be shed for the sins of the world. At this table, 
death and life, and the smell of death and life are totally intermingled. I mean, Lazarus, recently resurrected, is there. I mean, that smells like life. Jesus is speaking. Every word that comes out of his mouth smells like life. But Jesus is talking about his burial. That smells like death. And at the very end of this passage, John says this about the Pharisees, the local pastors, the priests who were so jealous of Jesus and his growing fame that they not only hatched a plan to murder Jesus, but they're like, you know what? We're going to have to kill Lazarus too. I wish we didn't have to, but they're just getting so popular. And so many people are following this Jesus guy. Verse 10, they also made plans to kill Lazarus as well. The place smells like death. Now, there are moments in this life here on earth, uh, some significant moments, where these two scents are totally interwoven. And they're often beautiful and tender moments. Uh, Two years ago, right about now, um, my mom had only a handful of months to live. She had Alzheimer's. Uh, By the time of two years ago, I had not heard her utter a word, a syllable, um, for about a year and a half. Okay? So I would visit her. I was visiting her early April a couple years ago. It's kind of a one-sided conversation when the other person can't talk. So I tell her a bunch of stories, tell her some, remind her some things from her girlhood, sing her some songs. And then because it was an early April day like this, and, you know, it smelled like spring. It was like a 70-degree day, and the earth is warming up, and literally you can smell like green and growing things. Awesome day like today. So I'm describing this to her, the smell of the earth. She loved flowers. I'm talking about daffodils and crocuses coming out of the ground. And then because I know that somewhere deep down, she is fearful and anxious about death, knowing what I know about my mom. So I just, I tried to say something comforting to her, like, Mom, the day is coming before too long when Alzheimer's is over, and you are going to wake up into a new spring on God's side, and it is going to be better than the best spring that you have ever experienced. Like the smell of heavenly soil and how everything is going to be vibrant and alive. Like that's what it's going to be like. Like I can't wait to experience that, Mom. How about you? And for the first time in nearly two years, my mom looks me straight in the eye and says out loud, oh yeah. Thank you, Jesus, indeed. These are the last words I ever heard my mom say. I mean, agreeing that, yes, life, death, and life totally intermingled. At that table, death and life totally intermingled. Jesus' journey to the cross, death and life totally intermingled. By the way, Mark tells us that this meal happened two days before Jesus was crucified. Okay? I'm guessing Jesus did not have opportunity for a high-quality bath or shower in those two days. Imagining that this bottle of perfume was dumped over him from head to foot, what did Jesus smell like as he went to an unjust trial? 
He smelled like the anointed one. What did Jesus smell like as he was beaten? He smelled like someone who was worth the greatest offering. What did Jesus smell like as he carried the cross down Jerusalem's street? His feet still smelled like love. What did Jesus smell like as he was crucified on the cross and despaired of life? He still smelled like the Messiah. Death and life intermingled at that table, intermingled in Jesus, and for us today, intermingled right here at this table as well. Friends, this table speaks to us about an upper room and a last supper and the love that sent our Lord to the cross. And this table speaks to us about Easter Sunday morning, the dawn of a new day and a new life for everybody who walks in Jesus' footsteps. This table speaks to us about a sunrise that breaks the power of death and starts a new day in which everybody who is washed in the blood of Jesus can stand up with a straight back and say, Oh yeah, count me in too. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there is no gift that could be as precious as the gift that you gave. Opening yourself, emptying yourself of all but love and pouring yourself out. Lord, with that gift in our hearts and minds, um, we too can walk in your generous pathway. You go first and we will follow your lead. Your love is so amazing, so divine. It demands my life, my soul, my all. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, and everybody says, amen.